Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki. I'm here with John Mitchell, as always. This week, we're diving into the group of five. Whether or not we have college football this season, whatever shape it might actually take, we're still going through our conference previews, as we always do. Um, but, you know, keep in the back of your head what's actually going on out there in the real world right now in terms of the way the coronavirus continues to impact communities, the way we're seeing number of positive cases of COVID-19 go up. We really don't know exactly what's going to happen yet. Last week we talked about the FCS, and we've certainly seen more cancellations going on, which is something we'll talk about soon. As of this recording, we have not yet heard from the Ivy League in terms of what they're actually planning to do this season with sports, but you might very well have heard about that before this is released out to the general public. But even if this is just a thought experiment, a theoretical exercise, we're really excited to be here talking about college football with you one way or another. So... Before we dive into the group of five, John, how are things going for you this week? It's going good. I just want to echo those thoughts that you had, too. You know, like, whether or not we have a season is very much up in the air. But, you know, we can't do anything about that. The only thing we can control is, you know, what we're talking about and whatnot. And it's, it's a lot of fun to preview this sport. It's sometimes as much fun to preview the sport as it is to actually watch it. So, something we've enjoyed for a lot of years together, especially. So, you know, still looking forward to doing that, whether or not it's all for nothing. It is what it is. I guess the, the one consolation would be none of our takes are wrong if there's no season at least. So, I mean, that that would be a first. Yeah, that really would be for us because Lord knows if you go back and listen to last year's preview coverage, we definitely did not bat a perfect thousand, that's for sure. And that's okay. i got a major surprise in this year's Group of Five preview for you, Zach. I know. I know you're excited now. I am excited. That sounds amazing. So, you know, I think in this first segment, what we're going to be doing, everybody, is we're going to look more at the broad picture that's going on, you know, what's happening with games, what could actually happen, um, before we actually dive into the individual conference races. So... First segment, we're looking big picture. Second segment, we're going to be breaking down the Sunbelt, MAC, and Conference USA races. And then that final segment, we'll look at the Mountain West and the American Athletic Conference before offering our thoughts on who's going to make the New Year's Six and whether they might even have a chance at the college football playoff this year. But the first thing I wanted to ask you this week, John, is, you know, we're seeing more of these games around the country get canceled. We just heard about Navy losing their game to Lafayette Lafayette out of the championship subdivision. Um, You know, this is a team that already had their their opening game against Notre Dame moved from Dublin over to their home stadium in Annapolis. So, you know, obviously we're going to see domino effects from this. Um, Western Michigan had their game... Uh, canceled against Colgate. They were able to reschedule with Stony Brook for the time being, obviously. Um, But I'm really curious, what do you think the 
that the potential loss of all these out-of-conference games could do to group of five races and how we think about who deserves to go to the New Year's Six. Yeah, I think the, the big thing is if really we see most of the non-conference schedule canceled, because if you lose a game against an FCS opponent, that doesn't really hurt. I mean, I guess it could hurt a couple of teams in terms of trying to get that sixth win for bowl eligibility. Um but, you know, when you're talking about the group of five race, we're not going to look at an FCS win as, as anything to really boost anyone's resume. Unless someone, you know, knocked off North Dakota State, in which case that would be a, a big resume booster, obviously. But um, I think it really comes down to whether some of these, you know, big opportunities group of five teams have in non-conference schedules to play against Power Five opponents we start seeing those kind of games canceled, that could have a major impact because that's a lot of the times, a lot of the time you see a, a group of five teams slay a power five giant, if you will, and that's what really gives them that boost in the group of five race. If not outright beat that team, then they play them really, really tight and, you know, announce to the world they're for real because, you know, we see group of five teams playing each other all the time and no one wants to give credence to them actually being legitimate because they beat other quality group of five teams. It usually takes those power five victories for the masses to pay any attention to them. So I don't think that dropping a couple of games against a lower division opponent right now is that big of an issue for that. But I do, I mean, this is just the, the beginning, right, of what we're probably going to see in the coming weeks and months before this college football season actually begins. So my, my thinking, you know, is still that we're going to have a season in some capacity, but I think we'll have a condensed season. And it wouldn't surprise me if we're talking all just everyone plays in their own conference for the regular season or something like that. We lose the majority, if not all, of our out-of-conference games that are currently on the schedule. Well, and I think that's the thing to keep in mind, is we're still very early in this as we sit here and talk now. You know, the first dominoes, losing FCS opportunities, it, it's it's neither shocking nor a huge hit to the resume, nor a huge hit to the budget. But as you mentioned, if, for instance, Power 5 programs decide that they're only playing conference schedules this year that's a lot of paycheck games that are gone and that could really have a major impact on you know how athletic departments at these smaller schools cope with COVID-19 um, we've heard that testing is going to be regular you know consistent frequent making sure that these players are safe how do you do that if you can't even balance your books in this situation, though? We know that so many of, especially these group of five programs, and honestly, a lot of power five programs as well, depend on these sorts of guarantees to make up a lot of the shortfalls in the budget. And I'm just wondering, we, you know, the other big question is how might schools deciding to cancel their entire season's unilaterally or as a conference how's that going to affect the group of five race in our mind yeah you bring up a great point too because the group of five teams are the ones who stand to be the most affected by cancellations because they have the smallest margins in their budget right you know the power teams in the world have all their conference and tv dollars they're probably going to be okay if they lose out of conference games because their conference games are still big money 
for the networks and for the programs. So the, the schools that have the razor thin margins we see a lot of group of five programs operate on, like you said, they depend a lot on those paycheck games, whether they're anywhere from half a million to what a million and a half dollars at this yeah. point, some of these paycheck games are, you know, that's a huge amount of money that can really change the fortunes of a program and keep them, uh, you know, from operating in the red for that fiscal year. So I, I think that's a great point. I, I think that's definitely something to look, um, to look into further whenever the ball begins to really drop. Um, you know, and, and what does happen, you know, Zach, when if if a group of five program from a from a conference like this decides outright to just cancel their season entirely and what dominoes fall from there? Because I think it really only takes one, right? It only takes one program to do that before you start seeing others seriously consider or outright follow suit. Well, in that too, you think about programs where, you know, if you don't have coming into the season a realistic chance of playing for your conference title you don't have a realistic chance of you know competing for that new year's six spot that could also help make up some of the budget shortfall it, it, i think you're, we're going to see before long the calculus that it is more prudent financial sense it, you know, not not to, you know, obviously from a health sense, the smartest thing would be not to play these games this year. I, you know, I as much as I love college football, there are bigger things going on. And I, health is paramount here, especially for athletes who could be impacted in ways we don't even know down the road yet. Not, you know, completely understanding what the long-term effects could be to, you know, lungs. Something that's kind of important when you're on the football field, you know, making rapid bursts over and over again for a 60-minute period. But I think that's, you know, looking at it from just the cold, impersonal, financial standpoint that as much as the NCAA loves to talk about florid, you know, feelings about going pro in something other than sports and caring about the student athlete. It's a financial organization. They're a hedge fund, <laughs> it, it, you know, for, for all intents and purposes. And it, it, from a financial sense, I have a feeling that a lot of these group of five schools are just going to end up saying thanks, but no thanks. That renders what we're going to be talking about soon enough as I said earlier, merely theoretical, but if we're talking about athlete safety and we're talking about whether or not you're, you know, campuses that, you know, a lot of these campuses depend on student fees. If students aren't coming back to campus or if they're taking online classes over the year, you know, over the course of the academic year, you're getting tuition still, but you're not getting those student fees that go toward the athletic department that, you know, a MAC program or a Conference USA program or any group of five row program really depends on. There's no single group of five athletic department that is completely self-sustaining. And that's, you know, you lose that. You think about, for instance, the recent ruling we've heard from ICE that they're going to effectively force deportation or force schools to be open for international students 
international students are the ones who pay the most because you don't have financial aid. You know, you're not eligible for something like a Pell Grant or a scholarship. You're paying the full sticker out-of-state price for school. Universities depend on that, and I think that's really where schools are going to get hit most. Like, we think about losing a TV deal. That's not as big a deal for the MAC or the Mountain West. Losing the funds coming from international students could also kill this, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And, you know, something I've thought about, too, that we've seen from professional sports recently, what happens if some of, and this isn't necessarily a group of five problem, what happens if some of the sports' brightest stars decide to just sit the season out? Yeah. You know, what incentive do people like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields have to play college football this season when they're both thought to be top NFL draft picks? We're seeing, you know, Major League Baseball getting ready to try and start up. We've got the NBA bubble in Orlando um, slated to start at the end of this month, but we've already seen players say, I'm not playing. I'm not going to Orlando or I'm not reporting to my team for baseball. Um, I'm going to sit this season out. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if this is something we see in college football this year, too. Yeah, and, you know, I think looking at professional sports, we can get a real idea of what's actually happening. You know, we've seen involuntary workouts at schools across the country, players testing positive and those numbers going up. But as a soccer guy, I think about the MLS's back tournament that they were going to be holding in Orlando or that they ostensibly still are holding the entire FC Dallas team has already dropped out of the tournament because too many players are coming up positive last year's MLS MVP Carlos Vela has already said I'm not going to play if this thing is actually actually moves forward you can do it without me you know and I think that's a point you need you, you have to look at as well Obviously, at the group of five level, it's harder for these players because, you know, a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields can afford to sit out this season and still and not tank their draft stock. A player who, you know, at a group of five school trying to move up from the third day of, you know, of the draft to the second day, for instance, that has real impacts on your lifetime earnings, and they're going to do their damnedest to, to bump that up. And... You know, I think that really just shows the the power imbalance that's there of who can you know who can afford to choose to sit out for the sake of their health and who can't. Well, also you have to look at it if if these group of five teams lose these opportunities against power five opponents, then these players who are you know in their final year uh, of eligibility lose their best opportunities to show out on the biggest stage too. So they lose the opportunity to potentially. Um, earn money in the NFL, you know, to, to really catch the eyes of NFL scouts against the best competition. So you could also see, you know, I look at Houston last year, for example. Like, obviously, this is a vastly different circumstance, but they had several players, including Derek King, choose to sit the rest of the season out after a few games and take a red shirt. So maybe we see more, like, voluntary red shirt seasons for some guys this year, particularly at the group of five level to try to, you know, maximize their spotlight for next season when hopefully things are back to more uh, more sense of, a norm, of normal. Thank you for bringing that up because, you know, I think players that do have a red shirt still to burn, uh, 
will probably increasingly do that. You know, that's basically the only power that the athlete has in this situation is to say, I'm going to use that year to sit out. Otherwise, it, it, it's effectively a use it or lose it situation. And the way scholarships are set up, you know, is the department going to accept that red shirt or just drop your scholarship? It, it's it's real, you know, it's a real tough calculus all around for the players. And I feel for every one of them that is having to deal with this. And honestly, for every group of five athletic department that's having to deal with these tough questions right now as well. Because the increased expenses of testing your players go hand in hand with decreased revenue this season. And it's just a perfect storm of red ink. Well, on that note, everybody, let's take a quick break, and when we come back for all the gloom and doom that we've just talked about, let's look ahead and, you know, put on our, our most hopeful front to see if, you know, how conferences might play out this season. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break, everybody, to the Saturday Blitz podcast. We're here this week talking about the group of five uh, previews for the upcoming 2020 season that we may or may not see. But let's dive into each of these individual conference races, get some of a feel for what might be happening moving forward, and, uh, you know, who might come out on top. We're going to be looking at the MAC. Conference USA and the Sun Belt in this segment before we jump into the Mountain West and the American Athletic Conference in our final segment. So let's dive into the MAC first. Let's look at the MAC East. Um, who do you think might be the biggest surprise coming out of this conference this year, or out of this division this year? You know, a team that I like as a, as a surprise team, not one that I think is probably going to win the division, uh, but I thought... Kent State had a really good season last year. I think Sean Lewis, uh, he's the youngest FBS coach in the country still. He's probably a guy that's going to start endearing himself to bigger jobs down the road because he's done so well turning this program around. I think they've got a shot uh, to really compete in that division this year. I don't know if I would say they're going to win it, but I think they're probably going to finish top three in my mind in the, in the MAC East. I really like what they've got coming back. I think this year more than ever, it's important to have an experienced quarterback uh, with off season, you know, with a condensed off season in the very least. So having a senior quarterback in Dustin Crumb uh, for the golden flashes, I think is really important. They bring back five other starters on offense. Um, I, I really like Kent state this year. I, I don't think they're going to win the East, but I wouldn't surprise me if they finished second or third. Yeah, I, I think Kent State definitely does have a chance there. They have a decent amount of returning talent there. Um, you know, the defense wasn't, um, you know, a mind blower last year, but they did finish above 500. Very solid season. Um, I'm going to go in a completely crazy direction for this, but I think Tom Arth and Akron have a much better season than the the winless campaign that they put together last year. Does that, you know, mean that they're going to be winning the MAC East? Hell no. That That's not going to be happening when you're on a 17-game losing streak. But you know what I think might happen if Af Akron gets to play their entire season? I could very well see them getting to six wins and going bowling. And I think a large part of that comes down to 
just how much they have coming back. You mentioned an experienced quarterback. They have Cato Nelson coming back. And as, as tough as that job is there, they have 89% of their offensive production returning. Of course, that was an offense that produced 10.5 points a game. The defense needs to step it up as well because they basically gave away, you know, 20, 25 points uh, as a margin of defeat each game last season. So I don't think Akron is going to be the best team in the division, but I think they are a team that can legitimately put up some wins in that division and could really challenge to at least get to bowl eligibility. I mean, the good thing about going 0-12 the year before is the only way is up. I mean, they can only get better from here, or I mean, stay in the same, but it can't get any worse than going 0-12 and being outscored by, you know, an average of 25, 26 points a game. So I I, I don't think Akron's going to fight for bowl eligibility this year. That's a really tough job. I think Tom Arth is a good coach. I think he's got he's going to have things moving in a direction. They're not going to go 0-12 again. They're not going to go... I don't think they're going to go 0-8 in the MAC either. So I, I can definitely see that. They should win a few games, but I think bowl eligibility would be pretty difficult to come by for the Zips. Fair enough. You know, I, I, I think looking at that team, it, it, looking at that, you know, schedule, you can probably see at least four wins on there. And I think, you know, it comes down to luck in, in whether or not they can get those final two. But... It'll be fun to watch regardless. You know, and then who do you think is going to come out on top this year, John? To me, I think it's a two-horse race uh, for the division title between Buffalo and Miami. Mm. Uh, I think both teams have, you know, a really good shot. Miami obviously won the MAC East and the conference championship last year. Really surprising. Uh, everybody, I think. I mean, Central Michigan was pretty big favorite, I believe, if I remember right, in the MAC title game last year, so that was a surprise. Both teams bring back a, a good bit of experience on both sides of the ball. They both have returning starting quarterbacks. Uh, but I went with Buffalo. I think the Bulls, after the, the a one-year hiatus of being away from the conference title game, I think they're going to get back this year. Um, you know, they've got you know, Kyle Ventris back at quarterback. Jarrett Patterson is 1,800-yard rusher with 19 touchdowns last year. He's a monster. They'll be able to lean on him um, to help them win a lot of games. So I think Buffalo, uh, particularly because they got Miami coming to their place November 10th, and I think that game probably decides the MAC East and with the Bulls having it at home. Regardless of how home field advantage actually looks this year, you might not have a crowd but you still have to travel to go to those games. So I'll take Buffalo because they get Miami at home. And let, let's be fair. How much of a home field advantage, home crowd advantage do you get at MAC games, especially ones that are played midweek, looking at those attendance figures? So, you know, I think, honestly, MAC teams might be better situated for playing in empty stadiums than any other conference in the country. So... It could work out in their favor in that regard. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I think Buffalo probably does have the best chance of coming out on top here. But I think the team that's going to push them isn't Miami, but rather Ohio. Uh, you know, I look at that team there. Um, you know, Frank Solich has been there for for 15 years now, which is really crazy to think about. But, 
you know, this is a team that has especially a stout defense coming back. And I think that was a big part of their success in getting to, you know, seven and six last year and, and once again going bowling. Um, and, you know, they had some issues last season in terms of not being able to complete games. But I, I think with that defense, you know, they have... Uh, 78% of their defensive productivity back this year. And I think that's going to be the switch that really puts a, a wrench into some of these other teams' plans. Whether or not they can get past a uh, Buffalo team that, as you mentioned, is really loaded with a lot of offensive talent is another question. But, I, you know, I think the race comes down to those two. Ultimately, I think Buffalo does come out on top, but... I, I I think you probably see Buffalo, Buffalo, Ohio, Miami, you know, Kent State or Akron, depending on how that goes. Um, and then the other one in Bowling Green is going to be bringing up the rear this year. Uh, sorry, Falcons fans. Yeah, I my big question with Ohio is at quarterback. That's why I didn't have them. Um, they're probably going to be starting a freshman, whether that's Nathan or Nathan Rourke's little brother Curtis or um, C.J. Harris at quarterback. And I think it's going to be tough for a freshman quarterback, uh, particularly this year. So I've actually got Ohio fourth in the MAC East this year. So we got some variants right away. So I like that. I had Buffalo first, Miami second, Kent State actually third, Ohio, then Bowling Green. I had Akron still bringing up the rear. Well, there you go, folks. You know how it goes when we don't dis or when we don't perfectly agree on everything. You're probably at least getting one good pick. So, um, let's switch over to the MAC West now. Who do you think is going to be the surprise in that division this year? You know, I it's hard to say any team can surprise in the MAC West because to me, this is one of the most wide open divisions um, in college football this year. There's so much variance that can take place. Would it really surprise you if any of the six teams in the MAC West won the West this year? Because honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. When I was trying to come up with an order of finish, this was the one I fought with most because I could easily see a team like Eastern Michigan, for instance, jumping up and winning the division. I could also see them finishing dead last in the division with no like hesitation whatsoever. So in terms of who could surprise... I don't really have a team, to be honest with you, Zach, because I, there's no team that would really catch me off guard in the MAC West this year. Uh, I think the division's wide open. You know, none of the directional Michigan schools have a uh, veteran quarterback to lean on, so that's going to be difficult for them. Um, I think Toledo's probably the most talented team, so they're not a surprise in any way. Um, I guess if I had to pick one team that could move up, perhaps with the most variance in the division this year, is probably Northern Illinois. Um, if they can kind of figure out their offensive woes, they've been one of the most successful MAC programs over um, the last several years. They went reverted back to 5-7 and seven last year, so maybe they jumped back up um, this season. I just don't have a ton of confidence in them either. So that would probably be the team that, to me, has the biggest um, – chance at jumping up but again it wouldn't shock me if they fell to the bottom of the division either see that was northern illinois was going to be my surprise team but i think it's going to be because they completely crater this year so like i have them just to give you uh a sneak peek everybody i have 
the Huskies dead last in that division this year. So I think that's going to be the surprise is that people look at a team that has a guy like Cal transfer Ross Bowers and they're going to think, hey, you know, this is a team that could make some waves. But I I just don't see everything coming together there for, for Thomas Hammock and his staff. Well, uh, shifting gears to the the race at the top, now that, I, you know, I've, you know, blown my, blown my list and given away the last position on mine, who do you think is going to be at the top of the race in this, what is obviously a wide open race? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a wide open race. Uh, Central Michigan won it last year, but they've got a decent bit of turnover, I think, this year, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. So I could see it kind of being a transition year for Jim McElwain in year two uh, with the Chippewas. So I went with a team that just feels like they are they have the highest floor, uh, and to me that's Toledo. I think um, I think the Rockets have the highest floor, and that's how I kind of determined what I thought was going to happen in the West. They're the team I have the most confidence in not to finish last. So I think. Uh, that propelled them to the top to me. I think Eli Peters has a lot of potential at quarterback. Uh, Bryant Kobeck back at running back. He's super talented. they got a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. They'll have to have some serious improvement on defense if they want to contend for a MAC championship. Uh, but I, I think the Rockets probably win. I had them edging out. I had Central Michigan and Western Michigan coming in second and third. I threw Northern Illinois fourth. Ball State fifth, and actually have Eastern Michigan sixth. But, I mean, any order of finish in the West this year would not surprise me. Well, we definitely do not have a concurrent list here because that Ball State team you have fifth, I have them taking the division. And I think it really comes down to, uh, you know, a defense that returns 81% of its of its talent and, and its productivity. Uh you know, they weren't great on defense last year, but they scored more than they gave away and got kind of unlucky in not getting to bowl eligibility last year. I think that, you know, um, with Drew Plitt back and a really good defense, uh, you know, if that defense improves even just, you know, two to three, if they allow a field goal less a game, that'll be enough improvement to vault them up to the top of that division. So I have Ball State, Central Michigan, Western Michigan, Toledo. I have Eastern Michigan and then Northern Illinois bringing up the rear. Yeah, I mean, this. I figured this would probably be the conference for us that had the widest amount of variance. And I think that's probably the case if you talk to anybody about the MAC this year because there's no truly elite team. I think we can probably both agree there's no team in the MAC that's going to seriously compete for the Group of Fives New Year Six bid this year. So you know, and and that's been the case for several years for the MAC. So they've been pretty consistently, I think, bringing up the rear in recent seasons for the Group of Five. Yeah, I don't see any team finishing undefeated, and I think that's what it's it would require for a MAC school to beat out some of these other conferences in the group of five race. Well, who do you have winning it all, John? I took Buffalo. I got Buffalo beating Toledo in the MAC title game. Yeah, I had Buffalo over Ball State. So there you go, everybody. Uh, Let's move on now since, you know, 
We've got a lot to cover here. Let's move on to the Conference USA race, and let's move on to the East first. So, surprise team, John, who do you like coming out of that league? Um, as a surprise team in the East, um, I, you know, again, it, it's kind of a tougher way to go about it, too, because there's, I think, a pretty clear hierarchy at the top. I think Western Kentucky... Uh, Marshall, Florida, Atlantic are probably the three teams with the best opportunity to win the division, so I don't think any of them would be a surprise. Um, so I went with Charlotte. I think um, they've got a chance to maybe crack that top three. Uh, I don't necessarily predict them to do that, but you know the 49ers were a lot better team than I think a lot of people paid attention to last year. They won seven games. Uh, they got beat pretty soundly by Buffalo uh, in their bowl game. But they had, you know, a top 60 defense last year, uh, finished in the top half of the Conference USA, and, you know, they've got a lot of returning talent back. So I, it wouldn't shock me if they finished in the top three or at least competed for another bowl bid, which would be really big for Will Healy in his second year there. Yeah, you know, I think Charlotte definitely does have that chance. Again, they're another one of those teams that needs to see a little bit of defensive improvement, and that could be, you know, exactly what tips two or three games in their favor. I also really like Old Dominion this year. They went, you know, maybe I'm just picking teams that tanked last year or whatnot, but, you know, this is a team that went 1-11 last year, but... They're, you know, I, I think they're one of those teams that are probably closer to the 5-7, and 4-8 and eight records that we saw the two previous seasons before that. I think they're a team, again, a lot like Akron, that if luck goes their way in a couple, they could easily um, get to six wins and get to bowl eligibility. Not going to compete at the top of the conference, but when you have... Um, you know, more than 80% of your productivity returning to a t your team that year, I think that's a huge opportunity for them. You know, you look at Bill Connolly's returning production rankings, and they're seventh in the entire FBS. And, um, you know, the only teams above them from the group of five are Houston and East Carolina out of the AAC. No team has more returning talent than than. Old Dominion than the Monarchs. So, you know, I, I think it would be tough just given, you know, a five-win improvement might be too much to ask, especially if they lose a game or two here or there. But I, I, I think bowl eligibility is an, an, an entirely unreachable goal for them this season. Yeah, the, the problem with Old Dominion, in my opinion, is they face a really brutal schedule. They've got eight teams on their schedule that made bowl games last season. So, you know, you could see a pretty big jump in improvement, and that still only might mean two games or so difference than last year. They could go three and nine and be a major improved team this year. So, uh, again, another team, too, they've got a, a first-year head coach, so I think that kind of that's another thing that's going to be difficult for teams to deal with this year when you've got a coach who's trying to instill a new system, trying to turn over everything. Uh, but they got, they have talent. I mean, they've got nine returning starters on defense, and they weren't terrible defensively last year. They were 46th nationally in total defense, so they were pretty respectable 
on that side of the ball. So if that can keep going up and they can figure out how to, you know, move the ball on offense at all, then, you know, they could definitely surprise a few people. I don't think they'll go to a bowl game, but if they played spoiler and knocked off somebody who had a chance at winning the conference, that wouldn't surprise me. Fair enough. Who wins it all in that division? You, you know, you mentioned Florida Atlantic, Western Kentucky, and Marshall. Which one of those three do you think makes it out on top? Yeah, I I went with Marshall. Uh, I think Florida Atlantic might have the most talent in that division, but they're also coming in with a new head coach. So uh, I went with, with Marshall. They've got the consistency with Doc Holliday. Um, I really like Isaiah Green. I liked Marshall a lot last year, too, to be fair. So hopefully they don't bite me again. Uh, you know, and obviously they had a good team last year. They just came up a little bit short in the conference with Florida Atlantic being as good as they were. So I like the Thundering Herd. I think Isaiah Green's got a shot at winning uh, player of the year in the conference, and I think Marshall comes out of that division. You know, I could definitely see that happening. I honestly really like Western Kentucky, though, and it comes down to how the defense of that is coming back. No team in Conference USA gave up fewer points per game last year than than the Hilltoppers. And this year they have 89% of that defense returning, you know, of the players who produced. So I, I think those numbers could dip below 20 per game, and I think that's going to go a long way toward vaulting them above Marshall and then Florida Atlantic. I have Old Dominion fourth. I might be crazy in that regard. I've been, you know, just in terms of crunching numbers. And then I have Middle Tennessee, Charlotte, and FIU bringing up the rear. Yeah, I went Marshall first, and then I have Western Kentucky second. I, I like the Hilltoppers a lot this year, too. Uh, and then I have Florida Atlantic coming in third. I'm really curious how that goes for the Owls this year, how Willie Taggart really treats this job you know does he come in motivated to really prove something or is he still really bitter about what happened in Tallahassee uh and then I had MTSU fourth Charlotte fifth FIU six and I still had Old Dominion at the bottom so again folks not entire agreement there that's probably a good thing for you moving on to the west who's gonna who's gonna surprise out of that division this year John I like Southern Miss a lot I think the I think the Golden Eagles have a, a legitimate shot at winning the West and winning the Conference USA outright. Um, they've got a ton of talent back, too. They've got eight starters back on offense, seven on defense. Uh, Jack Abraham's a really talented quarterback, so bringing him back is really big. Uh, we saw how good they could be last year. Uh, they, I mean, they housed UAB, for instance, last year, 37-2 to at home. If they can really... If they can improve their turnover margin, that was the biggest issue they had last year. They were 122nd in the country with a negative 11 turnover margin. That's obviously not going to get it done, and that's what ultimately cost them, I think, a chance at really winning that division. So I like Southern Miss a lot. I think they've got a legit shot at the West. I, You know, I think Southern Miss is definitely a great team coming in, especially with as much they, as they have returning back on offense. Uh I, however, I, I like UAB to do it again. You know, they just return so much talent. They're right there below Old Dominion in terms of returning talent. Eighth nationally. Um, 
in the production that that will be back there in Birmingham. So, you know, until further notice, I think it's their division to lose. And they, you know, they were one of the the two teams that only gave up around three touchdowns a game in the entire conference, the others being Western Kentucky and Louisiana Tech. I think Tech's going to have some drop-off because they lost, you know, two-thirds of that defense this year. So I'd like UAB to, to finish right ahead of Southern Miss there. Louisiana Tech in third. North Texas, UTEP, Rice, and UTSA once again bringing up the rear. No, I mean, I agree. I think UAB is going to win the division still. I think it's a two-horse race. I honestly think the two best teams in the conference are UAB and Southern Miss this year. Uh, But if there's one thing we know about Bill Clark is that he's good at working under less than ideal circumstances. So I think that gives the Blazers a leg up because he's used to adversity when it comes to the Blazers. Uh, And like you said, they've got a ton of talent back. They've got one of the better running backs in the country coming back and Spencer Brown coming off of an injury last season. Tyler Johnson's back at quarterback. They returned virtually their entire offense and most of their defense from last year. Um, and, I, you know, you got to figure they're going to be motivated after getting blown out by Florida Atlantic in the Conference USA title game last year. But, yeah, to me, the, the Blazers have the most talent in the conference. I think they win. I think Southern Miss comes in second. And I had Louisiana Tech third, North Texas fourth. Rice, UTSA, and UTEP bring up the rear. Oh, thank goodness you switched up those last three. Otherwise, we would have been exactly on in our predictions for that this year. So who wins it all in Conference USA? I like UAB. Like I said, I I think UAB and Southern Miss are the two best teams. They're just on the same side of the conference. So I got UAB topping Marshall. Yeah, you know, as much as I think that Western Kentucky defense could throw some wrenches into that game and keep it a lot closer than some people might expect, I I have the Blazers on top as well. Well, before we take our break, let's move on to the Sun Belt. You know, traditionally this has been the dregs of the group of five. When we look at, you know power rankings, Sunbelt teams have historically struggled to make it up that list. But last year, App State was really close to getting that New Year's Six bid. You know, game goes a different way. Uh, you know, if they don't suffer that that crazy loss, it they could be right back. They, they very well could have been in it. So um, who do you think surprises out of the East this year? Um, yeah, I mean, the best thing that's probably ever happened to the Sun Belt was Appalachian State becoming a member. That's really increased the profile of the conference. That's definitely one of the group of five's premier teams. They just got to figure out how not to have their worst game of the year every year when they play Georgia Southern, apparently. So, um, I think Georgia State has the best shot at, at being a surprise team this year. Uh, you know, the Panthers made a bowl game last year, really surprised everybody, beat Tennessee in the season opener, and then proved that that really wasn't a fluke. Uh, you know, they had a really strong season after that. So they've got a lot of talent coming back this year. I think they'll be right there neck and neck with Georgia Southern trying to climb the ladder. I don't think anybody does climb the ladder to overtake App State, but uh, it'll be a fun battle between the two Georgia schools. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like Georgia State. Georgia Southern, I think, is another one that's that that has a real chance. But I don't want to discount 
Coastal Carolina's chances. You know, this is a team that that returns a lot of talent on offense, especially, and um, I, I think that's going to play a big role. They scored, you know, more than 30 points a game last year, and so the big thing for them is whether or not uh, that defense can step it up a little bit and get them, you know, I even just one or two more stops a game wins Coastal Carolina a game or two more this season, I think. So uh, I think it really comes down to how players like defensive and Teron Jackson step it up. Um, I, you know, if they get more pressure at the point of attack, the Chanticleers could be a real surprise in that division and in the bowl picture. Yeah, I, Coastal Carolina was kind of a surprise team last year, honestly. I mean, they took obligatory blowouts to App State and Louisiana, but their other five losses last season were by a combined 24 points. So, you know, very, very small margins. Uh, you know, a play here or there, and we probably would have seen Coastal Carolina in a bowl game. Exactly. So I, I think this is the year they, they push that over and make it happen. Does anybody challenge App State at the top of the division, though? No, I, I don't think so. I think App State's obviously still the cream of the crop in the East. Um, I think they take the division. I had Georgia State coming in second, Georgia Southern third, Coastal fourth. And I actually had Troy bringing up the rear. Uh, I don't really like the direction that the Troy program's going in after losing Neil Brown. Obviously, they took a big step back last season. I think that's going to that backslide is going to continue this year. I, it's interesting, you know. They're especially with as much as they've lost offensively. I think that could be a real, you know. I I don't think they'll be pushing Appalachian State by any means. So, yeah, I have Appalachian State at the top. I had uh, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, Georgia State, and Troy, and I think. It's going to be wild. We could very well see four out of the five teams in that division bowl eligible this year. Moving over to the West, who do you think might surprise out of there? You know, I think the the team that might take the biggest step forward is Louisiana Monroe. I think the Warhawks have, I don't think they have the juice to win the division, but they've got a good bit of talent coming back. And they were a team, too, that was really close to, to making a bowl game. They were a one-point loss against rival Louisiana in the last week of the season away from a sixth win that would have got them at least eligible. They lost to Florida State by one point earlier in the year. So, I mean, they took two one-point losses last season, so they were about as close to bowl eligibility as you can possibly get without getting there. Um, I, You know, they had a really explosive offense last year. They finished second in the conference in yards per game offense, so... They're another team that's got to really make a stand defensively. They're one of the worst defenses in college football last year. They return a lot of a lot of players from that defensive unit from last season. So I think ULM's got a shot to really challenge for second place in the West. I think Louisiana is pretty clearly the top team in that division, in my opinion, and I don't really see them being overtaken this year. So. Um, I think ULM's got a shot at pushing for second place, though. Uh, you know, I hope for, for the Warhawks' sake that you're right. But with so much that they lost on that offense, I, I'm really curious whether or not they can still hit 31 points a game this year. 
And if they can't, that's, you know, it was the offense that kept them in a lot of games because, it, you know, as much defense as they have returning, it was the worst defense in the Sun Belt. And uh, when you're the worst defense in a conference that has historically been the worst conference, that's not a good sign. Um, so for me, I actually like South Alabama with the amount of talent they have returning. I think the big issue, you know, when they've got two great receivers in J Jalen Tolbert and Kawan Baker, I, I think that could make a big difference. Um, Desmond Trotter, be, you know, could build up a really great rapport with them as well. And, you know, toss and passes to these two guys. And I think... That could make their offensive numbers go up some. And then, you know, they gave away eight fewer points a game than Louisiana Monroe last year. And I think that, you know, if they can get that down into the mid-20s and the offense subsequently also benefits from some more of this experience, they have a, they have the chance this year. That's the one I picked a surprise, so. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think, like you said, like, like you said, Monroe's definitely got a long way to go on defense. I like that they got Josh Johnson back at running back. I think yeah. that'll help an inexperienced offense when you've got a bell cow at running back you can really lean on. So, um, but yeah, I mean, South Alabama was a good choice, too. I'll be rooting for them. That's the school I'm closest to at this point. They're only about an hour away. I was actually planning on trying to go to a South Alabama game this year. But, you know, obviously that's unlikely. But I went uh, Louisiana first, Arkansas State second. ULM third, South Alabama in fourth, and Texas State in last. Well, we're, we're in agreement at the top with those top two. The Raging Cajuns are going to be there in the mix again this year. I, I, you know, I think we get another App State-Louisiana championship game. I think you're right about the Red Wolves as well. They're right behind them in that runner-up slot. Um, I think the defense is just going to betray them one or two times this season and cause them to slip underneath the Raging Cajuns. I have South Alabama third. I have, you know, I, I and then I it, it's a toss-up between Texas State and ULM. I'm going to say Texas State before the Warhawks just to be completely contrarian more than anything. So, Fair enough. Um, do you think this is the year Louisiana overtakes App State? No, I really don't. You know, I, I think App State is just too deep right now. I, I think they're, you know, as good as Louisiana has been these past few years, I think, you know, I, I think we're going to see another great championship game probably decided by no more than four points. But I think it definitely, I, I, I see Appalachian State coming out on top once again in that conference. I think App State wins the regular season meeting again, but I think Louisiana overtakes them in the conference title game this year. I really like what Billy Napier has done for the Raging Cajuns. I think he's got a really talented offense in place. They took some major strides defensively last season. They got a lot of good players back on that side of the ball, too. Uh, Levi Lewis is super talented at quarterback. He's got a ton of talent surrounding him. Uh, they played twice last year. It was two really quality games. App State won by 10 in the regular season and by a touchdown in the conference title game. So hopefully we get two more classics between them two uh, this year. Uh, with the first game being in at, at Appalachian State, I think they'll take the first one. But I think Louisiana gets the revenge, and I think they 
wrestle the Sun Belt away from the Mountaineers this year. Fascinating. So we have a little bit of disagreement there. We we agreed on the eventual champions in the the MAC and the Conference USA races. So it's nice to see a little you know a different champion there. Well, on that note, everybody, we're gonna take one last quick break before we come back and talk Mountain West and American Athletic Conference football. Stay tuned. Welcome back for our final segment of this week's Group of Five preview on the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just finished talking about the MAC Conference USA and Sunbelt races in our previous segment. And now it's time to talk about the two conferences that have pretty much dominated the Group of Five for the most part since the college football playoff began in 2014. We're going to go with the Mountain West first, and, you know, we've been going East-West format, but of course the Mountain West has to be contrarian, so we'll be going Mountain and then West this time. Uh, Not quite as bad as Legends and Leaders used to be in the Big Ten, but not necessarily the best branding by the Mountain West there, I don't think, but that's a different story for a different time because we're previewing the conference races. Let's start out with the uh, the Mountain West Mountain, John. Who's going to surprise out of that conference this year? Or out of that division this year, rather? Yeah, I like Air Force a lot. Um, they, you know, they don't have a ton of returning production back from last season, but the key pieces they do have were their most important pieces to me last season. So, you know, having um, a returning quarterback and Donald Hammond and having... Caden Rimsburg back at running back, who we saw go off a couple times last season. Um, I really like the Falcons. You know, they were right there in the thick of things last year. They won 11 games. Uh, they were competitive at Boise State uh, last year, and their only other loss was at Navy, so they lost to two really, really good teams. So I think the Falcons have a legitimate shot this season at pushing Boise State in the Mountain Division. Um, I, I really would like Air Force to be a potential surprise to be like potential enough, potentially even win the conference. You know, I really like Air Force as well this year. I think that that they're definitely going to make a push, but I, I, I wouldn't be a homer if I didn't say I thought Wyoming was going to have that that surprise factor this year. Uh, last year, they were the stingiest defense in the Mountain Division, and I think that's, you know, that identity that Craig Bull has instilled there in Laramie is going to come through again. And, uh, you know, do I think that they, they'll actually push Boise State off the top of that division, as, you know, they've held in recent years? That's questionable. But I think when you have players like, you know, Garrett Crawl and Solomon Bird there along the defensive line. That's gonna gonna wreak some havoc in the the Mountain West this year. And then I also just I love that Xavier Valaday is back at running back. I think he's gonna have another big season. Um, he might have that sort of breakout that we saw from Brian Hill a couple of years ago. Yeah, I like Wyoming a lot too. I think it's a a really three horse race in the Mountain Division. So. Uh, like you said, Wyoming's got a lot of talent. Uh, they got two capable quarterbacks. We saw Sean Chambers burst on the scene last year and then get hurt. And then we saw um, Levi Williams, I think it was, take over for him after that and start the last few games of the year. 
both super talented guys, so a good problem for Craig Bowl to have. And this could definitely be the year that they really break through in, in, in the Mountain Division. It would not surprise me at all. I think that's a I don't think it's too much of a homer pick, Zach. I think that's fair. I think there's a lot of logic behind it. Well, I'll, I'll go with it then. Do I think that Wyoming's going to come out on top of that division, though? Unfortunately, I don't. I, I still think the team to beat until further notice is Boise State, especially with Hank Bachmeyer getting more experience. And, and I, I think this is his year to break out at, at quarterback for the Broncos. So I got Boise State on top. Um, I got Wyoming second, Air Force third. That might be the homer pick in me there. Um, but then, you know, I, I've got Colorado State fourth, Utah State fifth, and New Mexico bringing up the rear. Well, we've got the same at four, five, and six, but here's my big surprise. I've got Air Force taking the Mountain Division this year. I think they're finally going to overtake Boise State. Um, I think the I think the Broncos have a few more question marks than they usually have. I think replacing Curtis Weaver is going to be a massive challenge for a defense. He was the um, all-time sack leader in the Mountain West when all said was done. All when all was said and done in his career. So replacing him is going to be difficult. Um, you know, Bachmeyer showed some promise, but he also had some freshman hiccups last season as well. So um, I, I think Air Force wins it. I've got Boise second, Wyoming third, and then I have Colorado State, Utah State, New Mexico after that. So I, I do think it's a three-horse race that's going to be super competitive, but I like that Air Force gets Boise State at home and they get them early in the season. Um so I think that's big. And then, you know, they got to go to Wyoming, so that'll be another pivotal game. But I, I think the top three, I think it's one of the more fascinating races because I think you have three teams who could legitimately win it. And you usually are talking about Boise State and everyone else. But I think this year uh, the competitive balance in that division is really fascinating. I love that pick. You know, I, I it's hard for me as somebody who's written about group of five football before the term group of five existed um, to really kind of drop my preconceived notions about what Boise State is. I, I think I, I think also the fact that they have the most returning talent on defense is, is what kind of put them over the top for me. But Air Force is a real push. I think Wyoming could also push, but yeah, I, 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 I love that pick. Moving on to the Mountain West West, I, I feel really stupid every time I say that, but the MW West, we, uh, I'm curious, who do you have as a surprise this year? You know, I... I don't know that the team I really wanted to pick, to be honest, if all things were being equal and everything was going to be normal, was UNLV. Because I, I think Marcus Arroyo's a really good hire for that program. The problem with that is, though, is that they have, you know, obviously with everything happening with the coronavirus, he has less of an opportunity to instill his system, to work with his team hands-on. So I don't really see them being um, a threat. They're, it's going to be difficult for them to climb out of the cellar in the first year, but long term, I think that was a fantastic hire. I know you probably agree um, with that, so that long term, I think, will do well. Uh, San Jose State was the other team I was thinking of. Uh, I think the Spartans, they were 
really right on the doorstep of bowl eligibility last year. They lost the three-point game to UNLV in November last season. That kept them out of a bowl. They also lost by two to Hawaii on the road late in the year. They were right on the doorstep of bowl eligibility last season. I think they're going to knock through that door this year. And, I mean, really it's hard to overstate how good of a job Brent Brennan's done and where he had to take the Spartans program to where they are right now, particularly if the Nick Starkle experiment works out for them at quarterback. Um, and if not him, then whoever um, takes over this season for them. But I think San Jose State, I think they're going to make a bowl game. I don't think they're going to challenge for a division title, but I do think they'll go bowling in 2020 if we have bowl games, of course. Yeah, I San Jose State was going to be my pick there as well because I, I, as you said, Brennan has done such an incredible job. You know, he went out and got former Texas A and M quarterback Nick Starkle. He's got um, just a really, you know, a really ridiculously strong returning roster. I think in terms of. Um, especially on defense, I think he's got the roster that could make, you know, I keep saying it, but even that field goal difference on defense is, it, 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 it would obviously tip a game or two for them last year. And I think that could be right. What takes them to bowl eligibility again? What well, the top, who do you think is going to be there at the top, John? Uh, I like Nevada to win the division this year. Um, I think Jay Norvell has done a really good job with the Wolfpack. I think this is their year to break through and get to the conference title game. Uh, they've got a, a lot of talent coming back on offense, so I think they'll take some big strides on that side of the ball. I like Carson Strong as a returning sophomore quarterback to really make some strides. So I, I like Nevada, but this is another one of those divisions that's kind of tough to pick because I don't think there's any clear favorite in the West Division this year. Um, so I, I could see it going a number of different ways. But I went Nevada first, um, Hawaii second, San Jose State third, San Diego State fourth, and then Fresno and UNLV. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right that this is a wide-open division. I think it could look like both divisions in the MAC last year where you have teams just creaming each other out of contention. Um but I like Brady Hope turning things around and getting San Diego State atop the division this year. Maybe I'm just crazy or whatnot, but, you know, they were the stingiest defense, pretty, I think, among all FBA, or uh, group of five teams, if I'm not mistaken. They only gave up 12.7 points a game last year. They've got a fair number of, of really talented players back, uh, Tariq Thompson, Darren Hall were both back in that secondary. You've got Cameron Thomas and Keyshawn Banks along the line. And I, you know, I, I, I think he, getting hope back and having somebody who knows the culture there and, um, you know, it, 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 it's, he is a first-year head coach there, but he's not a first-year head coach there. And so I think some of those issues that you mentioned with, like, Arroyo, um, the fact that he was there last year with the team as well as the, um, oh God, he wasn't the defensive coordinator. I can't remember what exactly his, his job was, but. Was he just the offensive line coach or something? It was something like that. Yeah. But I think, you know, I, I think the fact that he was there in town last year gives him a leg up. And so I like San Diego state, 
Um, I actually like Fresno State this year as well. I think they'll have a decent team. Uh, third, uh, Nevada. Fourth, Hawaii. Fifth, San Jose State. And sixth, UNLV. And I think saying that, we're going to see, again, you could see as many as five teams out of six bowl eligible out of that division because you're going to see a lot of parity. Yeah, I wonder if, if Hope can do anything to fix that San Diego State offense because that's my biggest concern with them is they were a snooze fest on that side of the ball this season. They, the biggest surprise to me all of last season was when they dropped 48 in the New Mexico Bowl against Central Michigan. I would have lost a lot of money betting the under on that had I done it because I mean they were struggling to score in the double digits for a good part of the season so also I mean I'd like to talk for a second too about Hawaii because they might be one of the weirder teams particularly with Todd Graham taking over for the Rainbow Warriors this year I think Siobhan Cordero's got a a ton of talent we saw um, in reserve some last season so I don't think they're going to miss a beat on offense obviously Graham's an offensive coach so they'll be a lot of fun to watch. In the last few years, they've been one of the wilder teams um, to, to watch. And I, I don't know if that's going to change just because Cole McDonald's gone or not. So definitely an interesting division. I think I agree with you that they've got a real shot um, at five teams being bowl eligible. I think the Mountain Division has the best teams when you look at the top three, but the West is definitely deeper. Yeah, for sure. I, I think you're definitely going to see more teams bowl eligible out of the West than out of the Mountain this year. And yeah, that Todd, thank you for bringing it up because that Todd Graham hire, I, I, I just, on one hand, it's brilliant the fact that they were able to land a guy who had stints at two previous Power Five schools like that. Hell of a coach. Um, and, you know, We've mentioned it with several other coaches. How motivated is he going to be to build Hawaii, or is this just another stepping stone to get back to the Power Five? Yeah, definitely. I think that's fair. Um, it'll be fun to watch, even if it's a train wreck. So, Of course, it always is. Who do you think finishes atop the conference this year, John? I, I took Air Force. I think it's the Falcons year in the Mountain, in the Mountain West. I think they beat Nevada in the title game. Yeah, I, I think the Mountain Champ is the one who's going to take it. I like Boise State over San Diego State this year. but uh, Yeah, that's the sensible pick. It just felt like the year to swing for the fences. So I love it. I'm glad you did because it's, you know, bold goes the day. Well, let's move on to the last of the group of five conferences, the one that fancies itself part of the Power Six rather than the group of five. We're, of course, talking about the American Athletic Conference. This is one of the most interesting conferences in the group of five because it's the only one that doesn't have divisions anymore with Connecticut going independent and moving the rest of their teams to the Big East. Uh, so now they're going to be a lot like the Big 12 in that the best two teams go to the championship game rather than division winners. And, you know, that would have played out in interesting ways in some, some recent seasons. But I wonder, do you think that's going to impact how we see the American Athletic Conference in the group of five race? No, I don't think it will have much of an impact. I don't, it hasn't impacted the Big 12 not having divisions. Uh, when you talk about the national race, they 
at least with Oklahoma dominating as much as they have, they're still sending teams to the playoff regularly. So I don't think it'll make too much of a difference. Well, who do you think is going to surprise within the conference this year? Well, I had two teams. Uh, the first one was East Carolina. I, I really like what um, Mike Houston's doing there. I think that was a phenomenal hire for the Pirates. They took some major strides last year. They didn't really bear out record-wise, like, you know, because they, they went 4-8. and eight, But they were a lot more competitive, it felt like, last season. Uh, and I think this year they're going to take a step forward. I think they're going to go to a bowl game. I don't think they're going to challenge for the conference championship. But I think the Pirates go bowling this year. Um, and then I like Houston a lot to really take a, to take a step forward. They're probably the team that's going to make the biggest jump from last year after going 4-8, and eight, uh, just with all the variables they had last year with so many um, with such a rough start and so many players deciding to sit the rest of the season out. They lose to Eric King, but Clayton Toon's plenty talented at quarterback, obviously. Uh, you know Dana Holgerson's going to have that offense rolling with as much talent as they have. If they can stop anybody on defense, who knows, but we saw SMU win a bunch of games last year without being able to do much of that either. So they'll be one of the more fun teams to watch. They'll win some shootouts, and I think Houston will take a, a pretty big step forward, and they'll go bowling as well. Yeah, I like Houston as well this year, uh, especially because I, I see a lot of potential for defensive improvement there. As you mentioned, they gave up around the same number of points per game last year as, as SMU. Obviously couldn't score nearly the same number of points, but they have 93% of their defensive production coming back. And I think that's even more significant than who they do and do not have coming back on offense. A team I think is, is due for a bit of regressing back to the mean in this conference is Tulane. And... Uh, you know, it was a it, it was so much fun to get to watch them go get to bowl eligibility last year. Um, but I think Willie Fritz's team, because they lost Justin McMillan at quarterback, um, you know, they have a lot of skill position talent that they lost, and they're also replacing three offensive linemen. There's just so... It's a complete rebuild, almost, of that offense. And so I think Tulane probably goes from seven wins to four or five this year. I don't think they completely crater in that conference, but I I, I see them kind of taking that step back. Yeah, I think the team that takes the biggest step back is probably Navy this year. I know that wouldn't make... uh, Saturday Blitz resident Gavin Jernigan, very happy to hear me say that. But they put so many eggs in Malcolm Perry's basket last season. He was that team uh, for all intents and purposes, and losing him is just a massive loss. They had a huge turnaround last season from going 3-10 and in 2018 to bouncing back to 11-2 and last season. I don't think they bottom back out to 3-10, and but I think they'll be more fighting for bowl eligibility than any potential shot at a conference title. Yeah, I see Navy as like a, a six or seven win team in the regular season. I think you're absolutely right. They're not going to be in the thick of the conference race this year, but I, I still think they probably go to the postseason, especially because if they get to six wins, no bowl, you know, some bowl game is going to snap up Navy, even if it's, you know, the military bowl or the armed forces bowl. <laughs> so, yeah. 
um, if those bowl games are played, which, again, who the hell knows right now, but who do you like at the top of the division, or at the top of the conference? Yeah, I think there's kind of a clear hierarchy in the AAC. I think you've got, to me, a pretty clear top four. Maybe Houston jumps into that top four. But I think Cincinnati, Central Florida, SMU, and Memphis, in some order, are probably the four best teams in the conference this year. And, I, you know, initially Cincinnati's who stood out to me. But when I really started looking into it more, I think it's UCF taking the, the, the conference back this year. I, I really like the Knights. They you know, regressed for their standards last year and lost a whopping three games, which is just unimaginable for how good they've been. But when you look at those losses, they lost to Pittsburgh by one, Cincinnati by three, and Tulsa by three, right? So that's three losses by a combined seven points. They could have easily, with one play here or there in those games, gone undefeated again. So this is a ridiculously talented UCF team once again, Dylan Gabriel was, I mean, fantastic as a freshman quarterback last year. Having him back um, is huge. I think he's going to have a monster season. Could end up starting to look more like Mackenzie Milton looked for the for the Knights. And I think UCF takes the takes the conference. Yeah, I like the Knights as well. You know, you look at the preseason SP Plus rankings that came out at ESPN uh, back in February. And they're the only group of five team in the top 20 of those, those ratings. They're at number 18 with uh, both an offense and a defense that ranked 26 nationally in that regard in SP+. So I, I, I like the Knights as well. I, I think they're, you know, they had a weird season last year in the way things went, but they're right back to being the team to beat. They're they're the type of team at this point that reloads rather than rebuilds. And, you know, you mentioned Dylan Gabriel, but I, I think, you know, we've seen so much backfield talent there as well, and I think this is Otis Anderson's time to shine. You know, you've got Greg McRae, you've got Bentavious Thompson, you've just got all of these guys. So I I, I, I think that much talent is going to be too hard for anyone else to overcome. Who do they play in the championship game, John? I think it's Cincinnati. I think the Bearcats are the runner-up. They're the team I really initially had in my mind that I thought was going to win the conference. But I think the Bearcats come up just short again. Um, you know, Desmond Ritter's back at quarterback. But replacing Michael Warren at running back is going to be a huge chore for the Bearcats. Uh, you know, if he would have come back, for his senior season, I think maybe that would have done enough. Uh, you know, Luke Fickle's done a great job there. They have a ton of talent back on one of the league's best defenses, so that's going to be a major force for them. But I think UCF is, is just the most talented team in the league. So I got them beating Cincinnati. I had SMU third, Memphis dropping back to fourth. But, I mean, really that top that two, three, and four beneath Central Florida is pretty fluid for me. And then I had Houston, Temple, ECU, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, South Florida. Nice. I actually like Memphis to take on UCF in that championship game, even with Ryan Silverfield in his first year. I I think he just comes into a tailor-made situation for a coach to succeed right away. 
Um, you know, you mentioned the fact that Desmond Ritter's back, but Michael Warren is not for Cincinnati. And I think that's what puts it over the top. You got Brady White and Kenneth Gainwell back. And those two guys together, uh, in addition to having a guy like receiver DeMonte Coxie there on, on the edge, is going to be enough to push them past Cincy this year. I think UCF wins the whole thing, obviously. But it's UCF, Memphis, Cincinnati, uh, SMU. I, I, you know... I don't see Navy backsliding so much, but I see them like fifth or sixth, depending on how Houston and Navy go. Probably Temple, uh, Tulane, South Florida, Tulsa, and I, I think East Carolina is going to be, you know, as as good as they are and as much talent as they have returning, I'm apprehensive to say they make a big leap out of the cellar yet. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. The thing with Memphis that helps, too, is obviously Ryan Silverfeld was an internal hire. Yeah. So those are the hires you don't have to worry about. It was a perfect – no one knew at the time, obviously, but it was a perfect time to hire from within yep. um, if you were ever thinking about doing that. So fascinating race in the AAC. I think there's I think there's four legitimate teams that could take the league. Uh, we both agreed that the top four is the top four in some order or another. Certainly. Well, let's look quickly at who comes out on top of the New Year's Six race before we we, we call it an, a, a week. First of all, do you think any of these conference champions are going to go undefeated? I don't think we'll see any undefeated teams from the group of five if the schedules obviously stay like they're supposed to. If we end up with just conference schedules, then yeah, somebody's going to go. Several somebodies will probably go undefeated. So I think somebody. I think every team will slip up at some point. UCF's probably got the best opportunity to run the table, in my opinion, because they're the best team. Um, and they get North Carolina in the first week of the year at home, which is huge. And that's a big, big opportunity because North Carolina is a team that a lot of people are projecting to take a huge leap in the ACC this season. We already saw that they made a lot of strides in year one under Matt Brown. So if they can get that win, then that probably opens the door for them to run the table. Um, and if they do that, they're going to have a, a really a really impressive resume at the end of the season. Yeah, I, 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 I think UCF probably has that best chance at all. And I think they do have a real chance because, you know, you just look at where both the Tar Heels and the Knights fall in SP+. And... UCF will be the favorite at home in that game, even with all the hype that North Carolina is getting. And, you know, the, the thing that I'm curious about is, do you think if they do run the table that they could get more than a New Year's Six bid? I mean, they would obviously have wins over two ACC teams in North Carolina and Georgia Tech. They would have to beat Memphis on the road, Houston on the road, South Florida on the road. They'd have Temple and Cincinnati at home. And then, you know, the real question is, is do they end up playing Florida A&M? Because I think, you know, we're probably going to see FCS football drop off. But that could be a boost to their strength of schedule, actually. So, yes, yeah, fair. I, I think it's going to be one of the more difficult years for a group of five teams to really have a legitimate shot at getting to the playoff, particularly because we're probably going to see some of these out-of-conference games get dropped. 
Um, so it's probably not the year, and that sucks. Um, because I think the Central Florida team is super talented, but you never know. I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen in these other leagues, and if all things remain the same as we're kind of having to assume they are right now, you know, we could see two lost champions in other leagues open the door for an undefeated UCF. It would help their case if Georgia Tech really jumped up the standings in the ACC this year because no one's really going to look at that as a quality win based on where the Yellow Jackets are projected to finish. It would also help their case if North Carolina is as good as advertised, right? If the Tar Heels legitimately push Clemson for the ACC championship this year and maybe even win the ACC title this year, and if UCF had handled them relatively easily in Orlando at the first week of the season, then maybe it's a lot more difficult to leave the Knights out. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing to to keep in mind as we we move forward looking at the season. Well, setting aside the college football playoff for a bit, you know, the conference champions that you had looked at were Buffalo, uh, who was it? It was Buffalo, UAB, we had... Uh, Louisiana, Louisiana, Air Force, and UCF. Who do you think gets the New Year's Six bid? I think it's UCF. I mean, the best team in the American has been, you know, the team to get that bid in recent seasons, and I don't think, I don't really see that changing this year. Um, I don't know that there's a ton of competition elsewhere for this bid. I think whoever wins the American probably gets it, unless Boise State, because of the, the name value Boise State has, too, in the in the Mountain West, if they're able to run the table and win a couple of impressive out-of-conference games that they have on their schedule, they've got a shot. But like I said, I think Air Force overtakes Boise State, but I don't think the Falcons have um, are going to get into the New Year's Six. And then the Sun Belt champion hasn't really had a lot of steam haven't seen much from the mac or the conference usa either so really it's to me it's the winner of the american and i think that's going to be central florida yeah i think that's probably a safe bet i think for you know like you said for boise state to do it they'd probably have to run the table completely against um whoever you know have a perfect record to make that happen and I, I think that's going to be a tall order this year. I think it's probably the same thing for, for Appalachian State. Uh, they would have to beat both Wake Forest and Wisconsin on the road to really have any chance to get into that that picture. So, until further notice, everybody, we both like the Knights to be right back in the New Year's Six for their third time in four years. I yeah, I mean, the, the AAC, too, I mean, that... They get the benefit of the doubt because that league is ridiculously deep. Like, we, we talked about there being four legitimate teams that have a shot at winning that conference. But also, you know, below them, you still have a lot of quality teams like Houston, like Temple, like Navy, and then the two lanes, the East Carolinas and people like that. So that's where I think the AAC really stands out is they have the top-end talent and they've got the depth beneath, beneath it that a lot of leagues can't compete with. I totally agree with you. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Group of Five preview. Next week, we will be diving into the first of our Power Five conferences. We'll be looking at the Pac-12, the one that's been struggling to get its way into the college football playoff recently. So until next Wednesday, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you mask up every time you get outside because... That's the likeliest way we're going to get any kind of college football this year. And 
you know, I love you guys enough that I want you to be right alongside me when we finally get to go back into a stadium and cheer. Thank you, everybody. Until next week, have a good one.